0: Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's episode, Benji and I are unpacking why it is such a great idea to build strong relationships, platonic friendships with people of the opposite sex, and how that is going to be a fantastic long-term strategy if you're looking to get married, or if you're looking to have kids, or if you just want to build strong bonds with the other half of the human race. We get into this and we go in deep. So let's buckle up together and enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another day here. would you say, Benji? Yeah, welcome. You like snuck in a welcome in the middle of my welcome. You can't double welcome. There's too many welcomes. (laughs) People will feel too welcome. They'll start taking off their shoes in the middle of the living room. You know what I mean? Hey, I retract. (laughs) Unwelcome. So today, we're thinking about a really important topic for single people and blessed people, married people, people in a relationship. And that is learning how to be fluent in conversations with the opposite sex. As a single person, really important. And having friends that are not of the same gender as you, very important. And so we want to get into different angles. And the reason is this. I know too many shy people, especially shy young men, Ah, but I know young women too. They're really awkward with the opposite sex. And that's a big problem. <laughs> you might think it's not a big deal. You figure it out later. No, not how it happens. And again, there's stuff that it'll impact your marriage. It'll impact how you parent a child of the opposite gender. It's really important that you understand because people think completely differently than you. And unless you mix it up with them, you'll always be stuck with assumptions and assumptions are pretty much always wrong. So Benji, let me ask you, did you have a lot of friends that were girls growing up or were you pretty isolated, like in a bubble?
1: I did have friends female friends, but not in a close-knit relationship. They're more like my friends' sisters, that kind of relationship. And of course, I don't have sisters. I have one brother, Sammy. Who's like
0: the least feminine human being on the planet? Not because he's so manly, but just because he's so like a dude.
1: Yeah, so I would say I I didn't have close female friends until maybe teenagehood, like 14, 15 and above. But that was more as a necessity to (laughs) survive and try to figure out, Hormones and relationship and potential marriage, right? So, not really growing up so much.
0: So, would you say that you were all right or pretty bad with them in terms of like talking to them? Like, there's just another person? Or was there always like this awkwardness of like, I'm talking to a girl right now? I wasn't.
1: <laughs> I think if you ask my wife, she would say something different, honestly. I would say a steep learning curve to know how to communicate with women. Not not so much of like the conversation, like the actual talking, but more of the understanding or the empathy or the compassion or the kind of heart-to-heart connection that's required in, in a relationship for talking down the road, right? So it was definitely a learning curve for me to be in a relationship with my wife and very quickly realize like, wow, I really don't know how to understand women. I think first and foremost, understand the chemical and biochemical and actual differences, emotional and hormonal differences between everything that's packed into that between a man and a woman. So when I was in a relationship and married with my wife, I was years and years, I would say, of trying to unlearn a lot of things that I had misconceptions about women for and then try to relearn what it means to be a man for my wife.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're just a couple of dudes here. So we're limited to what we can say or think or feel according to society about women. But some stuff that women do doesn't even make any sense to guys. And I don't think it ever will. You just have to kind of take it for what it is. The idea of PMS, the idea of your hormones changing so much that you're a different person for a few days. For me, I'm very practical, kind of like, well, just meditate and chill out and come back when you're happy, you know, this kind of thing. But I have no context for what it's like to go through that kind of stuff. Obviously, there's no way that a man could ever assume what it's like to have so many different fluctuating hormones going through your body at once as your body's preparing. Every month, the woman's body is like, are we having a kid yet? No, mer. Are we having a kid yet? No, mer. right? Since they're like 12 and they have to kind of cope with that. And I just feel like there's no amount of education that could, just like if you were to read a book about love, it doesn't do the experience justice. Same with so many things that what it's like to be a woman, no idea, no idea. But the closest you can ever get is to actually spend some time with them and ask them and kind of gauge what you can and cannot say. Going from like not knowing so much to going into a, no an eternal relationship with a woman. she said the learning curve was steep. Like, did you just make her angry all the time for the first year of marriage by saying everything wrong?
1: Well, I think there's an intersection between science and faith the science, which is the actual, like you're talking about the chemistry, the hormonal biochemistry of what is a man and what is a woman. And actually what it came down to me to honestly, in our relationship was actually studying. Like I spent a good chunk of our relationship studying about females, like the actual hormonal balance and imbalance that occurs in some, of course, everyone is different, but particularly for my wife and trying to understand even going to get hormonal tests or blood tests, not to fix something, but to understand. And when I sat down and ripped, what is PMS (laughs) or like, what is menstruation? It's something we understand conceptually, especially as guys, we don't really get it, obviously, but when I understood her body is hormonally actually changing, that helped me like, first of all, have a little bit of compassionate understanding that what a man and what a woman go through or experience biochemically is drastically different from each other. It's not that one is better or worse or right or wrong, or anything like that. And of course it's individualized per person, but understanding my wife from that context, I can tell you it was like night and day when I just read about this stuff, I was like, wow, This is crazy how incredible a human body is and what it can do.
0: All of that information also helps to appreciate them as a complex structure, especially given the fact that if you're listening to this podcast, you've somehow stumbled into porn at some point in your life. That reduces the human being into just like a couple of orifices, just a couple of holes. That's especially from the male perspective of like different places to pleasure a man. That's what a woman turns into. And then when you start studying the complexities of the human body, especially the female human body and what it goes through every month through menstruation, but then like you get into pregnancy and like all the stuff, it's unbelievable what they go through. And then ideally, if you allow yourself to have an open mind, open heart, you can appreciate the fact that your mom gave birth to you and how crazy of a process that was. How, first of all, unlikely it is that it's going to work out the way it did which is you're alive and you're listening to this podcast, you have functioning brains and all that, like it's so hard. But without that appreciation, it's very easy to shrivel and shrink a woman from the man's perspective down to just like a caricature of a human that is just really there to satisfy you. I don't know from the female perspective. I I don't know what they assume guys are. We got to get Karina on this podcast. We'll grill her about what she thought guys were like before she got blessed, before she got married. Yeah. So I just want to say like when I was in high school, all my friends, my closest friends were girls, actually. I had a group of guys that I'd hang out with. We'd go skateboarding and stuff like that. But really, my closest friends were girls. My house at the time, my parents were divorced. So it was just my mom and my sister. And we had a wiener dog that was a girl. So it was me and a bunch of women. And my two best friends in high school were young ladies. I don't know what to call them. And that was really actually helpful somehow, because obviously I didn't grow up with any sense of morality and I made a ton of mistakes, but somehow having female friends allowed me to be a little bit more decent than I normally would because I had to answer to them. Because if you do anything sketchy as a guy towards the female race and some of your best friends are females, they'll let you know, bro, you're out of line. That was kind of weird and sketchy. That's very, very helpful because if you're always surrounded by the same gender, that's only one perspective. The other gender and like really mixing it up and spending time and seeing them just as people is very, very healthy because what we're talking about here is the second realm of heart, right? The brother-sister realm of heart. And it's important to have guys that you can hug in your life. You need it. We need physical touch, but also it's healthy to be able to hug a woman without feeling sexually attracted to them as a man and vice versa for women. Ideally, if you're a healthy human being, you don't get turned on by hugging your siblings (laughs) you know that's clearly a sign even in this weird world that we're living in even that there's a line with like incest that's weird and gross but if you think about our world as a human family it's just that at scale and of course our culture does not support that point of view but that's a very healthy way of looking at it that there's actually just one person in this world that where it makes a lot of sense to be sexually attracted to and the rest of everybody else is just your uncle aunt or brother sister
1: yeah so i think one thing that I want to address for our listeners is that Andrew and I are guys, and I think it's pretty obvious that we can't claim to know anything about women, (laughs) or specifically to know exactly what it's like to be a woman. However, we are married. I just want to clarify, we are married for many years and we have kids. We've been through the experience of supporting our wives through the experience of having children. So anyways, I just wanted to clarify that if that helps our credibility at all (laughs) in talking about this. If it helps at all, I know it doesn't necessarily. But the reason I think this is important is because we've had experiences where we have seen the benefit of these relationships, right? We've seen the benefit of how it impacts our lives, but not only us personally, but also the lives of people that we're helping Specifically in our line of work, people who are addicted to pornography, people who are preparing for a relationship, people who are married, people who have kids. And for me, I have a daughter and a son. So I have a boy and a girl. And it became, I think, more than my relationship with my wife, is actually having a little girl helped me understand how incredibly unique a woman is in the eyes of God, in the broad scheme of life and family and society, how important women are and how unique they are and different they are from boys. People will argue this or that, but from my experience, there's undeniably a a sense of love and care that I have for my daughter that I do not have for my son, honestly. It's just night and day in my experience. For example, when my son, when they were a little younger, when my son would hit his sister, my first reaction is, I want to strangle him. I want to drop kick him in the face. <laughs> like, and I've done that a few times. Like he would push her or something. I just like kick him in the chest. Like, don't do that to her. Like really protective. And then on the flip side, when my daughter hits my son, I go, good job. <laughs> like, good for you. And it's not intentional, but I just noticed that's my first reaction when I'm interacting with them, when I'm raising them. I care for the way, the way that I kind of empower them is very different.
0: So let's get into that because I don't have any girls. So I have three boys, as you know. But every single time that my wife was pregnant, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a girl. I got this intuition. (laughs) I really got into that. I'm calling it now. Girls, 50-50. I was wrong three times. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think I have a lot to learn about what it's like to be a man as an example to guys. But like, I got to say one time I was in a car in Las Vegas. You know, Makiko, Akira's wife. And they have, I think, three boys and the youngest is a daughter. The daughter was in the van with us. She's driving me to an event. I was speaking. And I started joking around with the girl. She's in the back seat, And I was just joking about aliens and like different things. And then Makiko just stopped. The girl was not into my jokes at all, by the way, the little girl. Makiko was like, you don't know how to talk to girls. What's wrong with you? I was like, I've just never had them. All I know is boys. I know boys. You pick them up. You throw them. They love being thrown on a bed. They love wrestling and stuff like that. I don't know anything about what it's like to have a little girl because I've never had one. And so that's an extension. That's like a limitation that I have. I know how to deal with girls from like 15 to like 99. I guess, no, to 102. Because my grandma is now almost 101. But... Anything below that, I'm severely limited because I just don't want to be a creep or I don't like somebody else's kid. I don't have that fatherly heart as much for girls because I just don't know them as well. But you having a girl, the fact that you have one, what did that inform you about the female race, the female spectrum of the human race? Having a young girl, what has that taught you about women?
1: Maybe that's a loaded question. I can just speak from experience. You know, when we found out that we were having a daughter, so my brother and I are the only boys. And so it's just been boys, boys, boys. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of assumed like we would have another boy after our son because that's, just, that's the tradition, the a tradition. I remember opening the little slip you get from the doctor that reveals the gender. And then I was a girl, right? And I remember that moment. I was with Kojin, actually. We are taking a walk together with my son. And I just remember crying on the street. just <laughs> Walking
0: and sobbing.
1: Like, like, I can't believe like this is life. I can't believe this is happening, but how did I deserve this kind of life? And that's not just because I had a girl. I mean, I think we all have those experiences and things like that to be grateful for that we can't even believe. To answer your question, it's been a process of learning that honestly, my limitations and my limitations on my views about women, to be frank, that I think that a lot of our people in high noon are dealing with right now is that we don't necessarily have the healthiest perspective on the opposite gender, even our own selves the way that we view ourselves as individuals as children of god and impacts the way that we view other people naturally so it's been a process of just learning that my experience with pornography my overexposure for years to pornography for example has been maybe the bottom pit of my misconception or the miseducation about women are and then going through that process of overcoming that and even coming out of that at the very high level of viewing women or the opposite gender is how do i see this person not as just a gender, but as a human being, like as a yeah. child of God, how can I see this woman as a potential spouse in many cases? And this is the kind of thing that personally, I work a lot with people. Just to are...
0: clarify, not your spouse, but somebody else's spouse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so the kind <laughs> you not
0: creating is... a harem situation. Let's just be clear.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the, the important thing I want to bring up in this podcast is that I've worked with men and women who are preparing for marriage and to receive the blessing. And for almost 10 years now, And so I've talked with hundreds and hundreds of people about this exact point is how do I get to a point where I am right now where I'm either drowning or knee deep in, in a porn addiction or habit, or I'm out of that habit, but I'm not able to see a potential spouse for who they are. I first look at things like how attractive they are or their body parts or what nationality they are, what their face looks like or how much money they make or what career path they're on or how tall they are, or what age they are. And that's really an honest place for people to get, especially when they're preparing for marriage. So on the very bottom level of miseducation about the opposite gender is pornography. It's like it's impossible. It is impossible to look at a woman, if you're a man or a man, if you're a woman, at the opposite gender in a way that's healthy. In a way that you're able to see them as a unique person they are and as a potential spouse or just a brother or sister. It's impossible if you're dealing with a porn habit because the first thing you look at is naturally, are they attractive or are they not? Because that's clearly the line that pornography, not only that, but the Instagram standard of social media has defined is what is attractive, what is not attractive, what is overweight, what is not overweight. And that's the the first thing we think about if you're struggling with a porn habit. But even after that, the very high level of looking for a spouse or seeing the opposite gender as a potential spouse or as a brother or sister or a friend, it becomes, how can I see this person not as the external factors that define them, like all the things I mentioned, their height or their age, which are, is surprisingly a very important thing for a lot of people, honestly, or what language they speak or what nationality they are, or what color of their skin is, whatever. But if you can see past all of that and see them first and foremost, this is a unique individual with unique value. In other words, you can call it a child of God, a son or daughter of God. And if you can see with that lens, then it becomes more clear. You're able to discern if this person is a suitable match, a marriageable person for me to help me grow and expand my love so that we can become a couple and have a family and et cetera. So I think regardless of where you are, I think that's a critical, critical element or equation here is how do I see other people? How do I see other people as not just things or people or whatever, but what is their unique individual value?
0: Yeah, that's a good exercise that anybody could attempt right now, right? So whether you're single, let's say, let's start with that. For the single folks out there, that you get good at befriending and being close with people that All varieties of people, not just the people that it's easy to get along with, but difficult people too. Because guess what? You're going to be difficult and your spouse is going to be difficult in the future. So if you can't reconcile tension between yourself and somebody that you don't naturally like, somebody that you think tells corny jokes. Somebody that smells weird, somebody that just is mousy, they're introverted. Like learn how to befriend all varieties of people because in many ways that's a metaphor for the various characters that you'll experience in marriage. There's apparently twelve characters, right? There's like twelve star signs, there's twelve disciples. Twelve is a very common number. Imagine your spouse as having twelve different personalities that you will experience. So to have friends that fit into those different kind of categories would be very helpful especially in the opposite gender, like bring people close to you. Don't be afraid to be friends. I know for some people there, especially in religious spheres, it's like, be careful. And you do. You do have to be careful what it means to be a friend and how your expectations and their expectations. But that's all part of the dance, because the next part is after you are married, after you are in a relationship, guess what? there's still very attractive people in the world after you get married. They still exist. They don't all just get raptured and disappear. They're there. And you'll have coworkers that are attractive that try to flirt with you You'll have all sorts of situations. And if you haven't practiced as a single person, it doesn't get easier in marriage. In fact, it gets more complicated because you'll experience times in your marriage when you just want to escape. And if you find so much value in being complimented by attractive people, then it's very likely that you'll seek that. And you got to resolve all that as early as possible. If you already are married, blessed, and you're listening to this, it's not too late. But I would really recommend that you find a couple friends, different friends, but don't be afraid of the opposite sex, but be smart, obviously, because definitely people sometimes try to seek comfort. In high school, I found so much comfort in people complimenting me. So I do anything as I could, humanly possible, to be complimented by attractive women. And now I just like, it's not an issue. I just want to be desperate for my wife to compliment me. She's <laughs> hard. She's not loose with the compliments.
1: That- really important because imagine if you happened to have the experience of going to mongolia when you were 15 like in high school and yeah meet mongolian women
0: yeah how i would lose would my mind
1: you up, how that would have set you up for life right
0: well, you just have like to have a really honest conversation. You we're talking hypotheticals, but let's say I went to Mongolia, right? There's a lot of really attractive women. And as a Western guy, you're kind of like this anomaly. So people really give you notice. They pay attention to you because they're like, whoa, that's new. Just not because I'm anything special. Trust me. It's because just in that environment, I'm mm. rare. I'm a rare commodity. It's just like when an Australian guy comes to America, all of a sudden he's way more attractive because he talks like this. I feel, oh he sounds different like agenda <laughs> yeah so when i was there like there are a bunch of women checking me out and it, again not because i'm super like i belong in the avengers but just because i was a freak <laughs> i guess i was just very unusual and so mm-hmm. I could see when I was in a difficult spot with my wife, I enjoyed being checked out. And when I was connected to my wife, I didn't really notice. Do You know what I mean? Like there's like this thing inside of you. It's this neediness that you could imagine like a beehive and it gets activated. It gets kicked when you're fighting with your wife, when you, when you have lack of love in you. And what stimulates that even more is when you get attention or when people notice you or when you feel special. And that's a recipe for disaster if you don't know how to cope with that. So again, Building a healthy relationship, if I look at these women like, man, I hope that they can have an amazing marriage instead of, wow, that girl's looking at me, then it's a completely different vibe that you're giving out. But it's also a completely different experience of life in general. And you can be much more of a help in this world rather than a needy person that goes around taking from other people, which is what most people do. Celebrities, oh, you're hot, I'm hot. But I'm married. Yeah, but you're hot. Let's make love, baby. And then they just perpetually divorce because they're so needy.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that might be helpful for people is I think a lot of people are perhaps understandably afraid to build a healthy relationship with someone of the opposite gender, especially if they're not within a faith-based or religious or understanding, because it's kind of seems like a slippery slope. And to that, I would recommend I did, or I tried to do was try to find people that are even related to you, honestly. For example, What would have benefited me a lot in my preparation for marriage to be married with a Japanese person from northern Japan who does not like all the things that I misunderstood that women like, (laughs) like holding hands and complimenting and saying, wow, you're so amazing. How's your day? Come give me a hug. Like all that stuff that I thought that women all like. She's the total opposite of that. And she actually prefers other things. So that was a big shocker. But what would have prepared me for this situation was if I went to Japan, I am Japanese by chance. My dad's Japanese. So I could have went to Japan for a summer or a year or something and spent a lot of time with my cousins or with people, church members, go to the carp house in Tokyo or Chiba and just hang out around there. Like That would have been tremendously helpful. Then I would realize, wow, like there are other people outside of my bubble of understanding of what people are like there are women that like this, or there are men that are like this. And it's not that everything is as I thought. So that might be helpful is go outside of go to your parents country of origin and just hang around for like a month or a few months when you have some time.
0: Yeah, having people having friends from all over the world definitely helps gives you context, especially if you're going to get end up with somebody who's not from your own culture. Really important. Like how do you joke with other people? What's appropriate? What's not? can shave off years of pain in your marriage if you learn that as a single person.
1: (laughs) I think I am proficient in American joking. But when I'm
0: with Europeans, we're like, don't touch me. (laughs) Like I like slapped him on the shoulder. be like, Hey man, what's up? Don't touch me. I actually had someone say that to (laughs) me. Again, if you're single, it's really good to have friends of the opposite sex. Learning to navigate that. Be smart. Don't put yourself in dangerous situations. And obviously, if there's like an attraction developing, realize that and understand how to navigate that. Learn how to talk to your parents about it. Learn how to talk to your friends about it so that you don't end up making regrettable choices. But again, that doesn't go away when you're married. If you are married, if you're blessed. Also, make sure that you always have friends that are in the opposite end of the spectrum people who are different from you, especially people of the opposite sex, that'll help you understand your spouse more. Because a lot of times like, oh, my wife is like this is actually maybe a lot of women are just like this. And I don't understand women. Sometimes it's very unique to my wife. My wife, I would say is not like the average woman in many, many respects. But there are some things that I assume about her that it's her character. And it's actually because of the fact that she's just not a man like me. So really good research. It'll help you out in the long run. You'll be able to not be awkward when you're in a job interview or when you're in the workplace in different situations, when you just see people as people, when you just are not worried, when you're not tense. If you don't spend time with people, let's say the opposite sex, then you'll be tense every time you're around them. And it adds for a very awkward conversation. So you want to just be loose and enjoy life, get to know different kinds of people. Any last words, bonjour?
1: I think one thing I want to just mention, because I think a lot of our, well, I know that a lot of our listeners are single folks preparing for marriage. And one thing I touched on was how important it is to see people as, or potential spouse, especially in the context of receiving the blessing, which is an eternal commitment of marriage, see them first as a child of God, a son or daughter of God. And I think the natural question people have is, how do you do that? that's a lot easier said than done. And it's something that a lot of people struggle with because like I said, our first kind of reaction is when we meet someone new, especially is to look at certain criteria. And from what I've experienced is the matching candidates in particular who are very good at seeing people as a unique individual as opposed to other criteria is that they are first and foremost able to see themselves as a unique child of God, a unique individual, meaning they're able to see their own unique value and the value that they bring to that relationship. For example, in the case of many cases where there's someone who's kind of like short and skinny or not like super attractive from societal standards, but they're able to bring a sense of confidence and in a way persuasion, like I am a confidently a child of God and I bring such and such unique quality to whatever relationship I'm in. And I understand and I have firm belief in that. That in itself is extremely attractive. And that's how people, even people I've worked with, or are honestly like Jordan Skinny and like, I don't know how this is going to work out, you know, but they see themselves first as a child of God. And that really bleeds out into the relationship they're in. And so when they approach someone, they see that confidence, they see that unique characteristic and they're able to see other people from that perspective as well. Because I'm a child of God, everyone else is also my brother, my sister, by definition. So I think that's really key is like, how do we really allow God to be in us and see God in us and see ourselves not just as flesh and blood and bones, but actually as spiritual beings with eternal unique value. If we can understand that, then it's easier to see how a potential match or a spouse can complement and interact with us in a marriage.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. So it's such a cliche. I think we've brought it up. But at this point, the value of it is endless. So the idea that what you love becomes beautiful, there's a diamond inside of each of us that grows every time you appreciate like a friend or a spouse. Every time you invest in them, they become more beautiful to you. And a lot of times we don't see their beauty because we don't have the eyes to see it. That's why, like, if you befriend different types of people that you're not naturally inclined to do so, and you can see the beauty in them, you become unstoppable. There's nobody in this world that's unattractive to you because you can see the beauty in everybody. And that makes you just a wonderful asset to this world. And that's what we all need, right? So it also makes you a a powerful spouse. So. I hope this is helpful. We just know, I know so many awkward kids, like I said, both boys and girls who don't know how to talk to the opposite sex. I think that's a very bad situation for marriage and definitely parenthood as well. And it just makes you very limited as a human being because you're missing out on the variations that God has put onto this earth. So please try to expand your repertoire of friends. Please try to extend support and love to people that you wouldn't normally do and see what happens. You'll be surprised. Thank you guys for listening. You're awesome. If you are a woman and you listen to this episode and you're like, what were these guys talking about? They're out of their minds. Call us up and we'll we'll have a podcast with you. We will ask Karina about her perspective on this. We're going to start including her in more podcasts with us so we can hear from the female perspective. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here, and I just wanted to add one more point. High Noon is a nonprofit organization, and we are run by donations. And although we've been doing okay, thanks to the massive generosity of our founders, the Wolfenburgers, we want to expand higher, 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 higher. We want to make a global impact. We want to reach every family. We want to change the culture. And for that to happen, we're going to need a lot of volunteers and a lot of staff. That's just the reality. It takes money to travel. It takes money to do a lot of the things we do. And we want to let you be a part of this growth. And so what we've created is a donors club, which is a $10 a month club. And when you join, you get a t-shirt mailed to your door. You can get some exclusive content. And we also have some really good goodies for our tribe of people who are part of the donors club that we're going to talk about in the coming months so i just wanted to invite you to be one of these people everybody can afford ten dollars a month it's just a matter of whether it's a priority so if you feel high noon has impacted you positively or your family or somebody you know please consider donating i don't want you to give any money unless you really really want to but if you do want to i encourage you to really really donate So $10 a month is, I don't know, a cat a month. I don't know how to measure it. It's a giant hamburger and French fries a month that you can sacrifice in order to help this world become a more habitable, more enjoyable, more connected, more loving place. So please consider joining our Donors Club. It's just $10 a month. We look forward to seeing you on the inside of our secret society for donors.